listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. It's hard to believe, but this is the weekend that marks when we launched uh, this campus uh, seven years ago, and I did something a pastor should probably never do. I looked back at one of my sermons. I looked back at the very first sermon that I preached on this campus, and there's a lot I hope never see the light of day, uh, but I looked back, and I read through it again, and I said this, that kind of the main idea of that morning, our very first morning that we kicked off, it was a church's perspective determines its effectiveness. And I still believe that is true even today. And what we're doing, this is a time of year that we are beginning a four-week series to think about, to remember who we are and why we are here, kind of like a vision series. And our observant people already know kind of the, the theme, the, how we've titled that uh, this year. Anybody have a guess? Blueprint for Life. That's, Clint came up with this. It's a great way for us to talk about who we are and why we are here. And each week, we're going to be looking at a different way God has designed us as Bethel and as individuals. But before we do that, I want to talk about something that I think is even more important than that. Because if we misunderstand this, if we do not get this right, then everything else we're going to talk about over the next uh, three weeks is going to suffer. It's going to be out of balance. And it has to be this, is what is or who is the church? Not just Bethel, but, but God's church. If someone was to stop you and say, hey, what is the church? How would you define it? Because if we don't get that right, everything else is going to be out of balance. And so here's how the Bible answers these questions. And it's so important because to think about how in the world are we to be a part of something and give our time and energy and resources and lives to if we don't understand what it is we're giving our lives to. Well, here's how the Bible answers that question. That the church from 1 Peter is the people of God, the body of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It is not something that we create. Matthew 20 describes the church as the first fruits of God's kingdom that is here and now in the midst of a sinful and rebellious world. It, it's the foretaste of what is going to take place. Acts and 1 Peter would define it this way. It's a people belonging to God, purchased with the blood of his son. It says we are his own possession and treasure, the bride of his eternal son, cared for by elders who are called to watch over and protect. And that is the church so much bigger than who we are individually. Well, then we have to realize, why is the church here? What is the church's mission? 
One place it tells us that we are to go into the world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole creation, calling all people to faith. We're then to make disciples and glorifying God through his son, Jesus Christ. He also describes the mission of the church in John and Colossians as we are to bear fruit, not just be the first fruit, but to bear fruit of the kingdom, to be this picture of God's kingdom here on earth and increasing in the knowledge of God. But then the purpose for all of this, why are we doing what we are doing? First and foremost, it's so that Jesus is worshipped and exalted to the glory of the Father. Second of all, that God's saving power would be made known to the ends of the church, or the end of the ages. What is fascinating about this for me is that this has always been the mission of the church. And it will never change as long as Jesus tarries. That God's not changing. That's always been who the church is and the church's purpose. And that is not going to change. So now our part is to understand what that is and to figure out how do we accomplish what God is doing. So here's how we contextualize it. And you can see it on the banners. We talk about it this way. That we are a church that God has planted here to be about three major things. We want to live generously. We would say all the joyful one anothering. And we're going to talk about that next week. Another thing that we're about is building leaders. God's design for influence. That all of us have influence. No matter who we are. And it's leadership and influence using our gifts. And the various graces God has given us. That we are to distribute to everyone else. And then God's design for community. We talk about it as growing communities. It's this multiplication, our discipleship process. And we're going to look at each one of those over the next several weeks. But if you notice, there's one extra banner. I'm not changing the vision of Bethel. I do not have the authority that is way above my pay grade. But there's something that I think we need to make sure we understand that sets all of this in the right perspective. That God, he has, he's designed us for community. He has designed us to use our influence. He's designed us to be generous. But I want to first of all talk about God's design, what we're calling for eternity. So to see this, we're going to look at two places this morning. Let's start in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I want to show this is where we're going to begin. Then if you want to go ahead and mark, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians. And that's really the, the book that we're going to kind of anchor in over the next several weeks is 2 Corinthians. But I want to show us this in Ecclesiastes, and it's in verse 11. If you've never read this book, it's incredible. Chapter 3, he talks about Solomon, begins by saying that there's a season for everything. There's a time for everything under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to weep, a time to laugh. And there's all these contrasts that there is a time for everything. But then in verse 11, we read something. It says that he has made everything beautiful in its time. 
And then God has done something. He has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out or, or fully understand what God has done from the beginning to the end. That God has done something even though we cannot fully understand it. And he says that he has put eternity into man's heart. But have you ever thought about what in the world does that actually mean? Well, one of the things that means is that no matter who a person is, no matter whether they even believe in God or not, that God has put something in all of mankind. And it's this sense that life continues, that it's not just for a here and now. Even if people refuse to believe it, God has put this sense into everyone that there's more than just what we see and experience today. Yet even though we have this sense, he says we cannot fully understand it. So whether we realize it or not, there is this sense of eternity in all of us. And I can prove it. The effects of this, this picture we all have, that we live in a day, in a time, in a place, that we look around, we experience it personally or in our families, no matter where it is, that we know this isn't how things should be. That no matter who we are or where we are, how old we are, we long for a perfect world and we struggle with the fact that this address that we live is anything but perfect. But the sense of eternity in us, it makes us dreamers in a way. That a young child that will be heading off to school in just several days you know, they have this desire in them for the picture-perfect day. And they want to go to school. They want their friends to welcome them, teachers to love them. They want lunchtime to be fun and pee and recess to be enjoyable. And they have that dream. A young couple getting married, they have this vision of the perfect marriage, free from struggles. The pregnant woman dreams of giving birth to the perfect, healthy baby that's easy to parent. We all imagine the perfect meal, the perfect job, the perfect vacation, the perfect house on the perfect street with perfect friendships, the perfect marriage, and a perfect retirement. And the list goes on and on and on. And we are all dreamers because we all have eternity or forever wired inside of us. But we're not perfect people. We live with people that are not perfect. And the world around us is anything but perfect. So we live lives with this unrealistic expectation. That God has put forever in our hearts that we know this isn't how things should be. So we're going to see this and we look around us. Then we could say children are not supposed to be taken from their homes because they're unsafe. Husbands and wives are not meant to leave one another in a wake of hurt and heartbreak. Boys and girls are not supposed to live with a daily fear of being mocked and teased and excluded. 
The world should not be scarred by violence and war. And babies should not be murdered. And your skin color or your background or your education level should not be the reason that we're rejected. The government was meant to protect people, not use them to gain more power. And human lives were not meant to be cut short from hunger and national disaster and diseases. That we're not meant to go to bed in tears and wake up in a hopelessness. Their lives are not meant to be ridden with anxiety and worry. And because God has put eternity within us, we know that something is wrong. Because deep down, whether we realize it or not, there is this cry for eternity and forever because God has placed it there. And so here's the problem we all share. That I want us to get this morning that we are forever people but we're people that can lose sight of forever and that's our problem and if if we don't understand this everything else we're going to talk about is going to suffer and this is something the bible is trying to draw us to and remind us of that we are forever people and we're going to see it in second corinthians so if you will find your way to chapter Four. We're going to look at the end of chapter 4 into the first part of chapter 5. But as always, I want to set the context for this. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And you can read about this church in Acts 18. And I, I encourage you to go and to do that. Especially as we're going to be walking through this series anchored in this book. And so what happens is Paul leaves Athens for Corinth. And he meets a couple. He meets Aquila and Priscilla. And don't you love married couples' names that rhyme? I mean, it's like the perfect soap opera couple here. Priscilla and Aquila. And he meets them. And they're there because Claudius has kicked all of the Jews out of Rome. And Paul goes here. And what does he always do? He goes to the synagogues and he reasons there. Well, next to the synagogue, next door is a guy named Tychus. Tychus lives next door, and it tells us in Acts 18 that Paul keeps going, keeps teaching and reasoning, and the leader of the synagogue and his entire family believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And next door, a church is created. Well, it doesn't take long, and trouble creeps in. And the accusation against Paul is he's persuading people to worship God contrary to their laws. And it is getting dangerous. But God gives Paul a vision. He says, Paul, stay there. I'm going to protect you. And for about 18 months, this is where Paul is. But eventually Paul leaves. And he wants to go back, but his plans... They have to change. And so what he does, he sends Timothy. And Timothy finds this church within two years in complete turmoil and dysfunction and disharmony. Well, Paul gets the news, and it's painful to hear that many are turning against the gospel. They're turning against Paul. So in Ephesus, he writes this tearful and even severe letter of 1 Corinthians. Well, when they receive the letter, Paul hears word that they have received his letter and that many have repented. 
And it brings Paul incredible joy to see them coming back to where they should be. But the trouble isn't over. Paul sees and he hears of the troubles and he knows this. He knows this is not how things should be. That something is wrong. That this is not God's plan. So what does he do? He sits down and he writes 2 Corinthians. So look at chapter 4 and look at how it begins. He says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose what he has just done previously, he's reminding them of who they are. He says, you're no longer perishing. Your minds are no longer blinded. You're servants of Jesus Christ. You've had the light of Christ shown into your heart. You have a treasure in clay pots that Jesus is being seen through their lives. And he reminds them about all of this. But then he says in verse 1, we do not lose so then look at verse 16. Because notice the words again. After he reminds them of all of these things, of who they are and what God is doing through them. In verse 16 he says, So, because of all of this, we do not lose heart. And I think Paul is doing two things. One, I think he's wanting to remind them of who they are and what God is doing through their lives. And he's wanting to encourage them. But I think Paul is also preaching to himself. Because he is pouring his life into going city by city, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And everywhere he does, there is trouble and strife and heartache. And Paul is wanting to encourage them, but he's also speaking to his own heart. So notice what he says. Though your outer self is wasting away. Your inner self is being renewed day by day. So he talks about our outer bodies, our outer self, our bodies. They're wasting away. And as you get older, you know and you experience this each and every day. Things hurt more. You can't see like you once saw. You can't remember things the way you used to. Things just come more and more difficult. But he says your inner self, your spirit is being renewed. But then Paul says something that seems very insensitive. So maybe you're going through something right now that is extremely difficult. Maybe you're in the midst of it. Maybe you're just coming out. Maybe you've had a horrible six months or 18 months. Notice what Paul says when he hears about all that they are going through. In their outer bodies or the trouble in the church. He says... For this light in momentary affliction. Now, I've had the privilege of going in and visiting with people in the hospital and the home that have gone through some horrible things. That is something I'm never going to say to them. Hey, you know what? What you're going through, it's light and momentary. But Paul is not being insensitive. He's wanting to change their perspective. Just notice he says when they're going through this thing, he's not trying to be insensitive. But what he's doing, he's comparing two things. He's not saying their affliction is easy. And he's not saying, oh, hey, it'll pass. But notice the contrast. He says their light and momentary 
affliction in comparison to something. And do you see it? It's only light when it's compared to the eternal glory that you will one day receive. It's not saying what you're going through is easy, but when compared to the eternal glory that you will one day see, and one day he's saying, you will look back and go to the glory I have now, that was light. And it's only momentary, not because of a time frame that we experience, but when compared to eternity. He's wanting to remind them that they are forever people. Paul is wanting them to not lose sight of forever. So when the, the trouble comes, when the pain is there, when we see diseases, when we get older and things are harder to do, we can easily lose sight that we are forever people. And Paul's going to show us no matter what you are going through, there is something that's happening. Because look at what he says for this momentary affliction, and notice, is preparing. That there is this doing, this, this causing, this affecting of something. All that we would ever go through in this life is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Something that in this life we cannot fully understand. And this is how Paul is saying, do not lose heart. And then he's going to show us the way that we do this in verse 18. For we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That we will lose heart if we are only seeing in terms of the here and now. That we need a forever to shape our here and now is what Paul is saying. And so he gives them a word picture in chapter or chapter 5 for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed now I wanted to set up a tent this morning but I couldn't find it for two reasons one the men's buffalo trip I wanted that to be a visual but why would Paul use a tent because a tent is temporal it is temporary He's going to remind them that we are forever people. And so if that earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, notice he's acknowledging the trouble that we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked for while we are still in this tent, we groan. We're being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. That God has written eternity in our hearts. That is why we can look around and see things are not as they should be. That we're groaning, that we have this longing for what, how things should actually be. But here's the problem. The fulfillment of that expectation, that fulfillment will not and cannot ultimately happen in this life. The longer you live, 
There's going to be more groaning, more aching for what should be. And the ultimate fulfillment of that can never happen on this side of eternity. But then I have to ask the question, if that is so, then why are we still here? Why doesn't God just make things right now? Because he tells us in verse 5, for he has prepared, and there's that word again, prepared us for this very thing is God. The one that is doing this, he's preparing something, he's preparing us, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. That our forever should shape our here and now. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. But whether we are here at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due for what He has done in the body, whether good or evil. And to see the reason that God is waiting, the reason why he hasn't put everything right now, he says the reason God is not doing this and doesn't make things right today is because this life is meant to prepare us for eternity. But here's the error. We can live our lives, we can live the lives that we have now, as if they're actually a destination and not a preparation for the life to come. That we treat this life as the destination of end-all, be-all, instead of remembering that this life is meant to prepare us. Meaning that this present world with all its joys, and there are many, and with all its sorrows, we need to be reminded that they are not our final address. But when we treat it as if it is, we try to get from this world what we can only experience in the next. And so church, hear this. Our complete, present, personal, total happiness, that is not what God is working on for the here and now in us. One day, yes, but our complete and present and personal and total happiness, that is not what is God, God is going to accomplish in the here and now because he's preparing us for something greater. So here's what I want to do. I want to apply this, this eternal perspective, this, this forever mindset to us personally and then to the church. And I'm going to do it by a series of questions. We might could ask, why is it so hard for me to be satisfied now? Why do so many marriages struggle over the long run? Why do we have such a hard time getting along with our family and friends? How can we have a closet full of clothes and stand there and say, I have nothing to wear? How can our kids open it? refrigerator full of cold food and a pantry stacked full and say, I have nothing to eat. 
How can we have trampolines and swimming pools and video games and board games and TVs with endless streaming and say, I am bored? Why do we look at what other people have and struggle with envy? Why do people so easily disappoint us? Why do we have more than any other civilization in history, but we're still not content? The reason is because we are looking at this life as a destination instead of a preparation for our final destination. That everything in this world, the good and the bad, is meant to be a preparation for the next. And you know what that means? I have to remind myself, marriage is not the destination. My job is not the destination. My children and my family, they're not my destination. My friends are not my destination. All the incredible things that I get to enjoy in this life, they are not my destination. They are only to prepare me for the final destination. That this life is simply a tent. It is temporary. When I start looking at things and people and experiences to bring me ultimate satisfaction and joy and happiness, you know what will happen? They will always disappoint me. It's always going to happen. It'll never be enough on this side of eternity because I'll always be longing for something more. And we have seen it play out day after day for the last several weeks. We've seen it in the Olympics. And there's a lot of talk now about mental health. And there's so much to be discovered and needs to be known about that. But I can tell you one of the things that is happening People are pouring their lives into a moment. They are training endlessly for a moment. And then the day comes. And they get on that field, or they go to that court, or they jump in that pool, and everything in their life has come down to this moment. They give it their all. And they win the prize of gold even setting an Olympic or a world record. And they are on cloud nine. That everything they've worked for has come to fruition. They're holding the prize in their hand. But you know what happens over the next days and weeks and months? It's not enough. It's not Enough, because even the ultimate achievement in this world will always fall short of what God has put inside of us. But when we forget eternity, we forget that we are forever people. We look to people and things and experience to give us only what God can give. When we forget this world is not our final destination, you know what can happen? We will live with unrealistic expectations. Because we're looking for the things around us and the people to give us what they simply can't. We'll focus on ourselves too much. We'll ask too much of people. we become controlling or we'll become fearful. We'll live in constant disappointment or endless unthankfulness. So I've been trying something over the last couple of weeks. 
when I found myself, I wrote down disappointed. And that's happened. Find myself frustrated, sad, down, depressed, anxious, fearful. I would try to stop and ask myself, is this a nowism or is this a foreverism? How can an eternal perspective help me right now? And it was incredible how just that simple thought began to change how I saw things and how I was reacting to things. So let me apply this to the church. Because remember who and what the church actually is. That the church is a people that belong to God. They've been purchased with his blood. To proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole creation. Will be the, the first fruits of the kingdom here on earth. So that Jesus is worshipped and exalted. But here's my problem. I really want to make it about me. Because believe it or not, I have a list of expectations of what I want the church to be for me. And I can even treat the church like a destination instead of a preparation. Man, I want everyone to love my sermons. I want people flocking here to hear me. I want floods of people coming in each week. I want my children to be in small groups that they love to come to. I want my teenagers coming to a cool and happening place that they love to tell their friends about. I want Bible studies happening throughout the week where people are coming and they're in awe of this. And there's never a disagreement or a harsh word. No one ever gets cross with anyone. I want life groups that are thriving, that people love to go to, that we have too many people for the groups we have, and we have to keep making more and more. There's never a problem. There's never strife, and everyone gets along all of the time. But do you see the problem? I can simply make it about my expectations. So I have to remind myself about this, and I've wrote this down. I've put it on my desk. I've put it on my computer. The church is not here to be everything I want it to be. The church is here to conform me to the mission of Christ. And if those things happen, man, if people love my sermons, great. If we have small groups that our children's love coming to, great. If our youth group is the happening place, it's fun, engaging, and exciting, great. If Bible studies are amazing, wonderful. If we have incredible life groups, that's great. But more importantly, the church is not here to be all that I want it to be. The church is here to conform me to the mission of Christ so when things don't go exactly like I want them to be, I need to be reminded of who the church is and what the church is. Then in the here and now, it never may be perfect the way I want it. But God is using the church to prepare us for eternity because he's placed that desire in our hearts. So that's why this is where I wanted to start this week before we talk about the things that we are going after because if we don't get that right... We can easily make everything else about what I want. So hear me, the church is not here 
to be everything that I want it to be. If some great things happen, wonderful. Great expectations have been met. But more importantly, the church is here to conform me and you to the mission of Christ. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.